Andrew Michael Hurley won the Book of the Year Award at the Nibbies with his first novel, The Loney. His second, Devil's Day, won the Encore Award and his third is called Starve Acre. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us. That's a pleasure. Um, Tell us, what is Starve Acre? Starve Acre is the name of a field and also a house. The novel is set in the uh, the Yorkshire Dales, so just over the border from Lancashire into the Yorkshire Dales. And it's a name that's been given to this this plot of land uh, for for many years, really. Uh, And it really stems from a local story about an old oak tree that used to grow in this field. Uh, which was uh, which died off for, for some particular reason. Uh, it may be because it was used for hangings, and it was sort of um, God sort of struck it down uh, because it was used for that sort of brutal purpose. Uh, but no one really knows. But anyway, this, the legend of this this tree sort of lingers on, and uh, the story goes that it kind of uh, when it when it died and it rotted away, it sort of poisoned the land of this uh, this field, and nothing has grown there since. It's. Uh, I'm looking at the book in front of me now. It's a very powerful cover with the oak tree and with a noose hanging down from one of the branches. Tell us about. Richard and Juliet, who live at Starveacre. We join them about six months after their, their son Ewan has died very suddenly. They're still trying to come to terms with what's happened and trying to kind of resolve their grief. Uh, they're kind of pulling in different directions, though. Um, Juliet uh, is still very assured that, that Ewan is in the house in some form. He still kind of remains with them in some form. And she's sort of kept a diary of all those moments of contact that she's had with him since the funeral. They're, they're moments that have become fewer and fewer as, as time has gone on, and so she's becoming more sort of desperate to retain his spirit in whatever that is. And so she enlists the help of a group of occultists called the Beacons, who she hopes are going to come to the house and kind of uh, draw Ewan's life force or his ghost or, uh, or whatever she thinks that might be uh, back to the house. Richard is pulling in the opposite direction completely. He wants to try and move on. He's trying to persuade Juliet to at least think about having another child. Um, and so this is where the, the sort of tension between those characters um, stems from, really. So the house becomes very sort of claustrophobic, and it's sort of made even worse, really, by the arrival of um, Juliet's sister, Harriet, who thinks that uh, Juliet is losing her mind, and she tries to persuade Juliet to, to go and see a psychiatrist rather than having this, this group of, uh, of occultists come to the house. So, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a very um, kind of pressurised environment that all three of them are in. And I think you have this knack, because I think it was the same with the Loney, that you create a situation that's sort of normal-ish, as in it's a normal human situation, there's all these tensions. And I was thinking it's almost, and then you tighten the noose around the reader's neck. <laughs> <laughs> So that they don't, you kind of don't notice, you're sort of reading along and thinking, oh, yes, this seems like quite a you know realistic portrayal of what a couple would be like when their son has died and da 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 And then suddenly things start to happen. I wonder, is that intentional, the way that you, you, you kind of start us off in more or less earthly territory? I, it's a cue that I take from, um, from Shirley Jackson's writing, actually. I'm a, I'm a big admirer of her writing, and I think she does something similar uh, to that, actually, that she sets up these worlds that are seemingly normal and quite sort of recognisable to us, but then she begins to kind of stretch the edges of the reality of that world, and until the point where it becomes porous and allows other things in the supernatural, the eldritch, and and the spiritual as well. And I really like that. I think that that makes for really interesting territory for a writer. You know, that you don't necessarily have to write a story about grief within the realms of realism or naturalism. You can include other things in there as well. And I think that, that, yeah, it's just, it's just really kind of uh, interesting place to go to with that kind of story, really. 
There's a bit about, I guess, a little bit more than halfway through. Richard felt the past receding like a tide. The hare had bought the spring. The worst of their grief was over. Perhaps they had survived. And I read that and then I sort of had a deep breath and then I turned the page and it just says part two. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, I okay. think Richard might be wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's kind of wrong, I, I suppose. But I think the I wanted to end that, that first part there really on, on a note of at least some hope, you know, that he, he puts his trust and his hope in this in the symbolism of, of the hair, if nothing else. I think one of one of the things I was trying to write about in the book was the the kind of the word psychosis kept coming to me when I was when I was writing this book and the way in which grief or bereavement sort of induces a state of psychosis. You know that we we go through that experience and everything's very bewildering and confusing. It's seemingly kind of endless as well, and we can't think straight. We don't know what to think, and and it is a kind of madness really. And I think that we do sort of cling to anything that will provide a moment's sort of respite from that. And this is what Juliet and Richard are doing. So even though they are kind of pulling in opposite directions, I think they are both sort of clinging to to anything really that will provide some kind of um, comfort in some way. You know, so for Juliet, it's the, it's the promise of what the the beacons will will be able to do when they come, and for Richard, it's the symbolism that he sees in in the hair as a as a kind of emblem of of new life in the spring. Mm-hmm. And his desire to get back to normal, to have another child. Well, he thinks there is a normal for them, doesn't he? Possibly in a way that Juliet doesn't so much. Absolutely, yeah. You know, I think he, uh, it's a normal that comes at a price, though, I think. You know, he, he spends a lot of his time trying to block out the memories of Ewan. So, you know, he kind of listens to very loud music to try and kind of block him out, or he goes to the field, or he kind of ensconces himself in the, in the study. So it kind of asks, the novel sort of asks that question really is, you know, if you want to move on, how much do we have to forget as well? Um, the setting felt so real to me that I'm now completely convinced that Starvaker exists, <laughs> that the tree exists, that the woodcuts that Richard finds uh, that talk about the history of the tree, that it all exists. Yeah. Um, does any of it exist or is it <laughs> based on anything else or did you completely invent? The, the, the name Starvaker actually I got from uh, a book called English Field Names. This is, this is the exciting way that I spend my time uh, <laughs> reading books like that. But it was, it was really interesting, actually, because it was basically just a, just a list of, of sort of names that have been given to fields. But that one really stood out. Uh, and it didn't really sort of give an explanation about why it was called that. And so that, that really started to get me thinking, really, that, well, what, what is the story behind this? Field? Why is it called Starbaker? How has it become so kind of sterile that it's been kind of given, given that name? Uh, and that's really where the novel began from, really, I guess, was for that, that name that stood out and trying to think about a, the backstory that might have kind of led to it being called that. It's such a triumph of a novel. I did find it an uneasy read. And in some ways I did feel, um, I don't know, I did feel this very knowing authorial presence. I felt that you know an awful lot about people, <laughs> an awful lot about their domestic uh, secrets. And as Richard looks for the roots of the tree, I did feel that the tendrils of the story wrapped themselves around me. So thank you for that very intense reading experience. It's a pleasure. And thank you so much for talking to us about it.